Welcome to Find the Outside, the podcast. We are so pleased to have you back in season six. You know, we are interviewing all sorts of awesome people. And our awesomest person today is David Stevenson, who has been a longtime friend and colleague of Tim and I's, like probably like 15 years, maybe. I mean, I don't know. We're, we're getting on in years, friends. Uh, it's been quite some time. And David is the director of something called the Moose Hide Campaign in Canada. And we're going to talk about that because it's really important work. And as we were talking, as David and I had a pre-interview about this, my, my mind is kind of blown in so many different directions. So we want to share that with you. But we also just want to hear kind of what he's up to, who he is, how he landed on this way of making change in the world. So hope you're going to love this interview. Um, let's get into it. Brilliant, David. It's good to see you, mate. And uh, we are ten years, eh? We, we that's what we're, that's our estimate. Can you remember where it was that we were together? I think the last time we were together was in Ohio. Were you at the get uh, Arda hosting sort of stewards gathering yeah. thing in Ohio, Minneapolis? That's uh, Minneapolis. See? That's right in Minneapolis. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. Minneapolis, my friends, is in Minnesota, which is four states away from Ohio, but. You know, yeah. okay. Yeah. The Midwest? Is Look, it the I'm, Midwest? Is that good enough or not? It is the Midwest. That's fair. My son's got into Weird Al, and all I have in my head right now is the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. It's like, this <laughs> <laughs> is just some like horrible teenage. So, anyway, David, we should probably let you introduce yourselves, you know, before we get into too much ridiculousness. So, is there anything you would like to say to bring yourself onto the pod to just. Introduce yourself to our listeners in any way. Well, Sego, my name is David Stevenson. I'm uh, French, Irish, and Mohawk in my ancestry, Haudenosaunee, and I live in uh, on the west coast of Turtle Island, uh, North America, on the side of what's called Bacall's Mountain, little mountain in the Sanish territory. But right now, I'm in Huron-Wendat territory in Quebec City and a rainy day in Quebec City. And just, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. I mean, there's lots to talk about, but, you know, we've uh, known each other from, really from the art of hosting world and the early yeah. sort of Alia, uh, authentic leadership in action. And I think it's going back 20-ish years that that we've right. probably known each other in that space, in the leadership space. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. just grateful to be here and happy to see you both and spend some time catching up. I'm having this distinct memory. Were you at that uh, kind of stewards gathering or something that happened on Bowen Island? Were you there? And then, and then there was a bear that went like walking by the window. Yeah, you know what? I was yeah. not. I was. I don't not. know why that, but that memory <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like ever since I saw you getting on the getting on the video today, <laughs> just kept, kept having that memory of like being in that wood panelled room and having that black bear go past the window. <laughs> I was. Remember that? No, because I wasn't there. I was. Literally a uh, stone's throw away, but I actually didn't make it to Bowen that for that gathering, oh. which I it, I heard was amazing. Anyway. So yeah. Well, it, David, it was amazing. But let me just like tell you the difference of perspectives. So here's what Tim remembers being this little wooden cabin and a black bear goes by. And I'm not proud to say this. Here's my remembering of that. Just you know, same people, same place, same amount. <gasps> Interminable circle that would never end. I thought we were finally ending and then a black bear walked by and everybody started up again. And I was like, oh, more circle time. Talk on it. So just a little difference in our perspectives. That's all. I don't even remember being in circle. I just remember the bear. It was a beautiful bear. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. 
But to be fair, now you're you're feeling you're seeing a little bit, and this is a little bit behind the scenes, Tim. Like Tim and I, I can struggle with long circles. It's yeah. something I'm cultivating, a patience I'm trying to work with, but it is not my strong suit. And right. certainly, 15 years ago on Bowen Island, it would not have been <laughs> my strong suit. Yeah. Can we start? Why don't we start with circle, David? Are you practicing circle in your work? When we talk, and when we talk about circle, what does that? What does it mean to you? I mean, I think we, you know, we were talking about circle in the art of hosting context, which mm. was kind of often inspired by peer spirit and Christina Baldwin and Anne Linnea. Mm. Um, and you come from your own lineage mm. and your own background and your own historic context. When we talk about circle, so let's just let's just like go in where the conversation started us okay. off. Okay. You know, is sure. that is, is circle something you're practicing and you practice in your work? You're in many very you're in very different contexts, I feel mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a lot of the time and move between them. Yeah. But uh yeah, let's start there. Cool, cool. Well, yes, I spent and uh or or as we called it a lot on Zoom in, in the pandemic days, squircle, right? Because everybody's little squares. So we, we had lots of squircles. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so no, it's it's the root practice of our team and our organization. So we really? rarely have uh, we're either at desks, but when we meet in any more than three or four people, we sit in a circle. So and any meetings that we have, we start off with a circle. We start every meeting unless it's like a five minutes because we're trying to figure out some little technical thing. But if we're, you know, we're going to have a, we always do a check-in. How are you doing? So we have a practice to make sure that we have one round where we don't talk about work. What's up? Uh, Family, friends kind of thing or whatever you want to share and then go into the work. But that's basically our root practices circle. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's uh, the Christina Baldwin and Linnea stuff is wonderful. One of the people on our team, Stephanie Papik, um, she's um, from the North and she, uh, anyway, and she, uh, in you, sorry. And she, um, she practices with them. So, so we bring that in too. No so, way. Yeah. So she does her, her, yeah, her work with them. And it's been a thing we've actually had because of the kind of work that we're in, we specifically work with everybody who's new in the organization and joins our organization or does anything in the organizational context uh, with Circle. Like it's the, because people go out and do talks, we want to make sure that they understand not only Circle, but all the deeper levels of Circle. Like uh, as yeah. as as uh, Tuesday was saying, how to make sure you don't get caught up in what, remember Monica Nielsen's term? I loved it. The tyranny of the Circle. <laughs> There yeah. we go. Yeah. Yes. Which is, yes. you know, yeah. So it's not it's not a panacea, but it's definitely a great pattern to uh to dig into. And of course there's all the um the beautiful traditions around the planet that that is so it's such an innate archetypical pattern of democratizing voice and power and and, and the beauty about circle too is of course there's no top to a circle. Uh, and that the center of the circle is generally sort of held to be a space that, in a sense, is collective and transcends an individual will. You know what I mean? So there's, yeah. there's some beauty about just the way the circles are set up, which is why you often see in a circle, you know, it's a fire at the center or an altar or whatever. That's, the, yeah. you know, yeah. something that transcends yeah. the individual ego. The first place I ever actually did circle practice was in rape crisis, like rape circles, women sitting around 
a circle talking to each other about their experience of sexual assault. I ran domestic violence support groups for a number of years. Um, and those were always run in circle. So I, um, so circle as a, as a, as a way of facing our toughest challenges feels very much like what I learned or how to do it. Um, and, um, and so I'd love to hear you talk about your own work in working with violence against women and the violence that women are experiencing with the moose hide campaign. And I just think circles are such a powerful practice of the anti-violence movement as well as Mm -hmm. community practice. So I just love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, the first thing that comes to mind um, is just it's relational, right? Um, It is very specifically, we sit, we bear our torsos to each other our, our chest and our bellies we open up that's what human beings do that most of the animal kingdom doesn't do is we actually open you know dogs will lie when they when they are being submissive or free, uh, playful they'll lie and show their bellies right we just do mm. that by being in the world uh, mm. when, uh, our bellies aren't at the ground and then you know uh, defended by a back and claws and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so it's, it's just a very human thing to do. It's very relational in the sense that there's not a sort of stay, you know, stage on this uh, sage on the stage or whatever that, and it's not everybody facing forward. Um, but we're, we, we sit shoulder to shoulder, which is a very uh, solidarity thing to do to sit with people shoulder to shoulder. It's not confrontational to sit shoulder to shoulder. Sitting directly eye to eye is sort of very, can be a, not confrontational, but it's very, you know, uh, intense. Shoulder to shoulder and looking across to other humans and they're doing the same thing creates this network of relationality and solidarity mm. just by the design. And I think it's mm. mostly subconscious, right? But there it is. Um, and, and the other thing about it is it's beauty because it, it's, uh, which can go too far sometimes, but as you had mentioned, but it's also slows down time. I find that circles yeah. are not, a, are not task orientated environments and they're not actually a great place. If you actually got tasks and work to do, circles are often, you know, as you know, not the best way to do things you know i mean i love the example uh that we used to always say in the art of hosting is when you know if you're sitting in your foxhole and a grenade gets lobbed in there you don't have a circle and go gosh how do you feel about this what should we do <laughs> you know you say okay we're acting this way we're you know go so there's not it's a it's a very uh midwifing as we would say in that circle you know a very midwifing kind of uh, an intention setting kind of space, an intentional space. Mm. That's a bit about mm. circle from like, wow, you know, it's a, such a deep uh, practice, right? I remember years ago, uh, one of my first, with one of the first places I got my first big gigs was in, in the Netherlands when I was, and I, got, I landed this job with uh, AB and AMRO, which was the largest bank at the time. And, uh, and we'd always write the logistics people to set up the rooms, you know, because they were losing all their young people. They couldn't retain any of their young people because they weren't building any loyalty to the organization. So they'd just get like, you know, get something on their CV, move on. Um, and, uh, and every week we'd send in a request to the logistics people for a circle of chairs with a vase of flowers in the middle for the meeting. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and every week we'd go in and it'd start off with like, you know, all the ta- all the tables would be there set in a big square with the chairs around the table. And then eventually, you know, after, after about eight months, you know, they took the tables out and it'd be a square of chairs 
you know and then after about 18 months we got a circle of chairs and after about two years there did end up being flowers in the middle you know but for me i was like that is amazing we've done something here like you know the, the we've we've embedded something so i think there is you know we i mean we talk about it as something innate we talk about it as something kind of like fundamentally human the way you describe it there but like how radical it can be you know how radical it can be to actually set the relational part of our working together as the foundation rather than the task, right? And uh, Choose, you gave a great story the other day when we were working together. And it was a recent story of about some fella. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a really important um, learning for me, both about check-in and the the personal voice element of check-in. Um, and so I think, I, th- I think we'd kind of asked, you know, like, what to bring in, what to leave at the door. And and this man's dog had died that morning. Right. And he was, you know, he was a bit of an outlier in the group, you know, kind of like the old white guy with a bunch of younger people who were, you know, interested in things that they thought he wouldn't be interested in. Um, and so he said his dog had passed away this morning. And, you know, like, you know, like David, I saw it on your face, right. It was like, <gasps> and so then it becomes, you know, everyone could like then actually like really connect with him. Like, oh, I've had a dog. I've had that loss. Oh my goodness. And it just like, it just like wrought the group together. He no longer became this guy that kind of represented this thing. He became, right, a man who who loved dogs, you know, and had had a loss. But even like, like the dog lovers were just like, then became a whole thing together. Beautiful. And there's something about that humanness that then creates the conditions for a different type of action or a different type of decision making, right? So, so David, when you're using circle in your work, right, to, and you referenced your work, can you can you tell us what the work is? Because we've just gone straight into circle, right. which is an right. approach, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. But you're leveraging circle to do what in the world? So I run a national campaign called the Moosehide Campaign, and the Moosehide Campaign sort of sits at the intersection, if you will, of reconciliation, intimate partner violence, uh, awareness and engagement um, and prevention. Um, sort of, you know, the uh, murdered missing here in Canada, it's a murdered missing Indigenous women and girls space, all very live, uh, active, uh, intense spaces right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll go back and say how I got involved in, in the founding of it. But basically, uh, in in 2011, I was working in government and I put on, uh, I was the executive director of what's called Social uh, Policy and Innovation or something, I can't remember exactly, in the Ministry of Indigenous Relations in, in British Columbia. And this, uh, we were tasked as there had been over the uh, other provinces have been tasked and it was our turn to put on a conference that went on every two years, I think it was, to bring together all the organizations that were working on intimate partner violence, domestic violence, uh, as it shows up in indigenous communities. So Aboriginal organizations across Canada came together, three day circle, um, deep conversations, 256 people at this conference in Vancouver, and four of us were men. Um, And so the question was, where are all the men in this space? Um, so fast forward that, that, uh, so that I was there with Paul Assert and myself. Now, Paul Assert, um, 
then he's carrier from the carrier first nations live in northern bc their traditional hunting ground uh, they have their family can trace back their hunting to the cultural markets about ten thousand years they know they've hunted right there for ten thousand years and paul was there with his daughter raven who was 16 at the time and they um got inspired and paul had been thinking about this conference a lot and talking about it and they got and and they were in the, their traditional hunting grounds now just so you get a picture that traditional hunting grounds is now intersected by what's called highway 16 or more well known as the highway of tears so the highway of mm. tears literally runs right through their favorite hunting grounds now their old hunting grounds and that highway, if people don't know, is infamous in Canada as being the place where the, where the most sort of murdered, missing Indigenous women, girls, and non-Indigenous women and girls across Canada. So um, they got inspired to take the hide of a moose that they got that year, tan it, and cut it up into little squares, and write out. And so they cut it. They got the family together. They sat around the table with scissors, cut the thing up into about 20,000 little squares and hand wrote out on little index cards and pinned the index cards to these little squares of moose hide that said, if you wear this piece of moose hide, you promise to uh, never do harm to the women and children in your life, work with other men and boys to understand this issue and address this issue and hold each other accountable and start stepping into the space. I mean, each of them was written a little differently, but it was basically like, you wear this as a your commitment to start to learn, grow, create safety along the Highway of Tears for Indigenous women and girls at the time. So this is before Me Too movement, before the you know, Truth and Reconciliation Commission or Murder and Missing Indigenous Women. We've really evolved. So that's, that, that year we held our first Moosehide Campaign Day, uh, 2011, and there was 10 15 of us raggedy guys hanging out of the steps of our BC legislature, trying to ask our MLAs to come outside at noon hour, not as a rally, but just to take a stance and be visible and say, this is a problem in our communities and we need to do something. We don't know exactly what, but something. And we started fasting every year for that. So every, every year we would sunrise to sunset, we would fast. Um, as a, and, and, you know, it was intuitive. It wasn't explicit, but it was intuitive um, that for us that this that fasting was a way to deepen our personal and collective uh, skin in the game, if you will, commitment, understanding, like we're, we're making this a journey that has a sort of emotional and spiritual aspect, not just a, you know, it's not a policy issue we're dealing with here. This is a human crisis issue we're dealing with, and we need to take it from that perspective. Um, and, and all old cultures have fasting in them somewhere. Um, and, and social transformation does. You could think of it as a hunger strike if you want, or maybe you're into yoga and want to do your intermittent fasting that day, or maybe you're Muslim and it's in Ramadan. So, so that's, that's the work we do. We have a vision of, uh, so we've now given out 5 million of these Moosehide squares across Canada, uh, to all across Canada. We're in thousands of organizations and communities. Um, we have lots of like educational resources that we support people with, but mostly it's the intervention that we have is the Moose Hide Square itself, um, which uh, is not for us, it's not an awareness campaign. We call it a medicine campaign because we're coming from an indigenous mm. epistemology. So it's not, you know, it's an awareness campaign in one sense, but it's much more a medicine campaign. And we're offering this as a, indigenous medicine for the benefit of all canadians mm. so it's mm. not an indigenous campaign that's saying for indi it's an indigenous campaign that says 
Look, as indigenous people, let's take the deficit lens off of indigenous people and realize we're bringing an asset to a social illness impacting all Canadians from all cultures, all genders, all on the gender continuum. So that's one thing we do. Then we do Mooseide Campaign Day, which is we call it a day of ceremony. This coming year, it'll be May 16th. Um, and we do, a, there's lots of local Mooseide Campaign events that happen all across um, Canada and Turtle Island now, as well as we do a live uh, sort of main event in Victoria and we, um, you know, live stream it and people watch that. And then we, part of the day is uh, um, we have, a, we we start the day with a sunrise ceremony and we end the day with a sun uh, fast breaking and sunset ceremony and a feast. And during the day we're fasting and we have, uh, you know, last year we had the governor general say a few words and we have people show up and say a few words and we do live interactive workshops with in the afternoon with uh, Indigenous elders that uh, people are invited to be part of. And just to learn about healthy masculinity or traditional relationships or intimate partner violence or how do you prevent this, how do you get around this, and sort of build the collective capacity of this nation to say, this is a problem, A. I don't know if you know. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll wind down my spiel in a second. But um, the federal government has, a number of municipalities have, and some provinces soon will, be declaring intimate partner violence an epidemic in Canada. So one in three women who go through post-secondary in Canada now will experience some form of sexualized violence. Now, it might not be super egregious where it's it's actual rape, but it'll be definitely crossing the line. And this is a completely preventable thing. This is completely enabled by a culture um, that we unconsciously uh, are born into that has certain dynamics around masculinity and dynamics about relationships and powers and all that stuff that we just are born into that probably come because we haven't re-consciously stewarded our, our youth and ourselves for generations that go, there's some rules of the road about being a man, you know, that you're a kid now. Yeah, you can run around and throw your ice cream against the wall and, you know, whatever, do what you want. But now that you're a man, there's some rules of the road as you move into manhood that are about relationality, um, personal and and collective dignity and respect, inherent sense of justice that kids have, like let's nurture that forward in out rather than out of people, but into people um, and deeper, um, that those kinds of things. So it's a a stewarding process that uh, for us, the the medicine that we're, you know, intimate partner violence requires us not to talk about it, not to really understand it, not to have a lot of skills to not, you know, not just have a trauma response and walk away when we think about it, but to build some capacity, to just look it in the eyes and go, okay, how do we how do we deal with this? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot about capacity building for us. So it's that little piece of moose hide. If you order them, uh, they're free. We give because it's a medicine. We give it away for free. So you just go on our website, fill out a little uh, form, and we'll send them to you for free. Um, but the little uh, we think of the, them as a little light into the darkness um, and, and a piece of medicine. Each of them is produced by otherwise unemployed Indigenous women on the Sandwich Peninsula. Um, they process them, they do it in a good way, and we offer it as a medicine. And the Moosehide Campaign Day, same thing. It's always for free. We just offer the space and invite people. And it's not a blame and shame at all environment. It's very much calling people into the circle come, and talking about circle. Come into the circle. Come into the circle. Because, um, you know, there's no... Circle is about equity and showing up in an equitable way, not 
being the same because they're all different, like honoring all the diversity that that calls. But the circle of life is, you know, a place of, of calling in and connectivity and, and belonging. Yeah. So that's the work. David, would you mind? Would you mind just, I just, I find that so, I think you're holding something that's so important. And I just love to hear you talk about it a little bit more. It's like, I feel like on, on one hand, you are seeing kind of the reality of who is impacted by intimate partner violence disproportionately and who is perpetrating that violence disproportionately, right? Like you're not, it's like you're clear eyed. These are, these are men and boys who are often hurting girls and women along the gender spectrum, right? Just generally, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I feel like you're holding that reality. Right. And you're hold you don't seem to hold that as your primary orientation to men and boys, which is so interesting, mm-hmm. right? I just would love to hear you talk about that a little bit because I feel like that is such a that is such a a, a valuable way to be thinking about and and one that I think we often miss. We think about if people do wrong things, they're bad people, right? So they're kind of like, let's throw those people away to get justice for these people, right? And But there's somehow you're managing to like look justice in the face and hold everyone. And so I'd love to hear more about your orientation to men and boys and, and how you're holding a whole and a, a whole community or a whole fabric. And again, I you said it before, we're talking about a gender spectrum here. We're not, you know, we're speaking in binaries, but that's not always how it shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, just to acknowledge that, yes, we, we started off fairly binary. Men and boys need to be clear about, you know, the impact we're having or friends of ours are having or our relationships are having on women and girls. And we've certainly grown along like we, you know, it's just us chickens. Like we don't really know what we're doing. We, you know, we're just we're just out there trying to make this thing happen. So uh, so we've been learning all the way along. And absolutely that uh, now say addressing violence against women and children and all those along the gender continuum. And we have to acknowledge that people with disabilities, uh, you know, people, new Canadians, uh, certainly those who are have gender diversity or sexual, you know, sexual orientation diversity or whatever, suffer exponentially worse under this sort of general acceptance that at times violence is okay for somebody thinks that, you know, so, right. so, um, yeah, the, the holding the men and boys space for sure is a, um, is, is, so what orient us and has always oriented to this is culture. Um, and one of the cornerstones of the culture, as I understand it, um, is that, uh, uh, you know, um, is these are circle cultures, that they're inclusive, uh, they're not. Uh, and so we really don't like to call people out. This is about calling people into the space, show up how you are, um, and not a deficit lens on men and boys. And particularly, you know, there's, there's words that are uh, like, toxic masculinity, which I think under certain circumstances are fair, but those are rarely like just sort of a broad brush kind of, they, they're, they're not a human, not, that's not a humanizing relational term to me. Mm. Uh, mm. And if I was to say, what is the root of all of this nuttiness from a cultural perspective, it's lack of connection. It's not feeding deep belonging, deep sense of connection, deep safety in our relationships. So the behavior of seeking, you know, that violence often comes out of is this power and control and all these things from a very weakened 
position. It's a very weakened set and a very unskillful set of practices to have to try and meet needs. Um, and, and it's confused. Uh, so, you know, banishing and harming and pushing people further away, you know, so yeah, we stop this now. There's no, this is, there's no gray zone in this issue. It's a black and white issue. You do not use physical violence or coercion to, to achieve a goal, what, you know, uh, like, uh, mm -hmm. or, or cover over your vulnerabilities or whatever. So absolutely. Uh, so we do want to bring men and boys in. We want to say men and boys have a, uh, a, a lot of learning to do. So the focus on men and boys is much, not so much that there's a deficit in men and boys. The focus mm -hmm. is that we got some catching up to do. Men and boys don't understand and haven't had to understand the dynamics of intimate partner violence and domestic violence the way women have had to come to understand it, generally. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. and we have to untangle it from that being an avenue towards power and masculinity in a good way. So what I mean by that is you look at like, I'm going to pick on some organizations and I don't mean to because they're, but hockey, Canada, Hockey Canada, uh, it's in, currently in trouble because of the basic assumption is, well, yeah, they're kind of offside a bit, but you know, that's, that's hockey, you know, that's relationships. That's how the game's played. It's like, no, no, there's no, there's no, uh, black and there's no gray zone here. Um, and men need to, under, you know, uh, have, I think, supported and understand that. Same with, you know, our, the, our, the RCMP is this issue, the Army, Navy, you know, our, like there's nary an institution with 5,000 people or more that probably doesn't have this issue. You know, it's, it's a bell curve anywhere. A society, institutions are generally just microcosms of society. Um, so this is about skill building. Yes, there's a, there's a very much a calling out and asking people to step forward, uh, but not step forward in a way that is like, um, we're not looking to, we, the campaign is looking to be a very love centered organization and love isn't just puppies and chocolate. Sometimes uh, it's like looking people in the eye and go, you know what, that's really unhealthy. So let's work on how, how to move towards a little healthier space. I was just watching a show the other day and, uh, but, uh, and this lady was, she, she works with men and, but she was talking about like how awkward it can be to see men greet each other sometimes, you know, like, are they going to hug? Are they going to like clasped hands, but have the hand in between them as they hug, you know, are they going to like shake hands? Is, you know, are they just going to fist bump, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And like, when you start observing it, like how fucking awkward it is when men meet each other, how just like, you know, and you know, and, and like when they do actually hug, it can be like two cardboard cutouts hugging each, hugging each other, the, you, you know, um, you, you know, and like, yeah. like what it yeah. takes yeah. for, for yeah. men to actually like, like hug and hold each other, like yeah, heart yeah. to heart, was the way she talked about wow. it. Wow. You know, like like what a what a what a surrender that is, and how fundamentally countercultural that is mm. to so many of the messages we're receiving from so many different places. You know, so mm. I think it's in, I, I think it's incredibly important the way that you're talking about it. You know, and 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 uh, and I think it can be difficult for men to form relationships as a result unless there's some kind of task involved. What are we doing together? Mm -hmm. Like, it's you know, yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, it's always funny when I like go out for dinner with one of my mates. You know, and it's just people will always comment on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. or I go out for coffee with one of my mates and it's a fella. Right. 
Yeah. Or they'll always be like, oh, that's weird. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it's, it's just, it's just like, it's just really, it's lovely to hear you talk about it. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and, and I'm interested in like how you do that. Hmm. You, you know? Yeah. Like how do you invite somebody how do you invite men in? Because I think Tuesday, I think there's almost an instinct of like, of like, actually, a boundary of protection is more appropriate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. stay the fuck out might be a better strategy, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, like, how? What, what are the ways that you invite men in or create the conditions for them to enter rather than be the receiver of? A protective boundary yeah yeah it's a great question you know um there, there is a i mean uh I, without overcomplicating it on some level i think yeah. there's very much uh a there's very much some like just sort of biology and neurochemistry going on with a lot of this stuff because you know i find that uh, traditionally men stand shoulder to shoulder with each other and that shows solidarity and that shows i got your back you know, I might mm. not be the guy who's going to come up and hug and kiss you and, and go, that's okay. But I'm, I'm the guy who's going to go, if things get under trouble, I got your back. And there's sort of this thing that happens, you know, if we look over human history, that there's kind of this role in the tribe. There's two roles. There is those who go out of the tri- out, out of the boundary of the tribe and go hunting or protect the boundaries. And those who nurture the sick inside or nurture the, the family or the young or whatever, do the, the, the in, inward to the, to the tribe look. So I think there is a sort of like interesting, I don't, I don't have much to say beyond that, except for I think you could say the basic functions of a nation uh, or a tribe, like you look at, you know, is protect your borders and care for your people, feed and care and take care mm. of people. And so there's this, uh, I think, way in which men have been called to uh, all throughout, you know, a lot of our, our evolution have been called to sort of be on the protecting the borders of it. Um, and women have been nurturing the young of it. I don't know. I, I'm way over my head here as far as like, I'm not a cultural anthropologist in any, any way, but there's something that I, I, I would uh, look into that. Now I will move out of that space and just go into sort of a bit of the, the teachings and the culture around that is that there's a um, distinction, if you will. Uh, well, one of my elders really talks about we men have to learn and grow into the distinction between being a soldier and being a warrior. And what they mean, what they mean by that is soldiers put on a big pack, have lots of armor, do what they're told, go where they're, you know, and follow the external pressures of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Get the job, you know, make the life happen. Warriors are all about surrendering and, and it's a way of taking of, of, um, uh, one's a way of accumulating the other ways uh, of a surrendering thing, surrendering our, uh, uh, up to and including our personality and our ego ultimately. So often, you'll see that it's a sign of maturity to be comfortable enough to hug your, you know, brother and your, your you know, to, to do that. And it's not that other people aren't mature. It's just that they haven't, you know, that's not something they're yet comfortable with. So you're right. There's a lot of stiffness in how men relate to each other. There's a world that says, look, you have to pull yourself up by your socks because we're not going to carry you. You've got to carry your own water, you know? Um, and so there's just this sort of inherent, and a dynamic of putting pressure men on themselves within their own culture to, you know, 
man up, do the work. I don't think that is necessarily an inherently bad thing. It's just way out of balance right now because the other side right. of that, you know, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, it's just out of balance. And, um, Haudenosaunee culture, uh, Mohawk culture, it's fascinating because the, the, the space of it is held by the clan mothers. It's the clan mothers who are the ultimate authority. So it's very much a matrilineal system and they will appoint the chiefs and then the chiefs go do the work. But the authority rests with the clan mothers. And so translate that into the power on one level, but the power vested in a purpose that is very much tending to the whole and caring for the whole. Um, and so that forcing power is of the, of, you know, going out and doing, you know, war chiefs and those who are negotiating with government now and that kind of thing, that's all held in a container that is like focused on the wellness and the health and the well-being of the collective, right? which is not necessarily the way in a, in a very masculine driven unbridled way then you wind up having like spacex rockets and stuff like that and, you know, there's no limit to that <laughs> for, example, <laughs> for, example, for example there might be somebody yeah. that does that someday yeah. so yeah. yeah 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 i mean that's going way up let's bring it down to the earth for just two seconds i'll just say this that you know it's a thing we men have to learn to say um, uh you know you'll see it more and more men just giving each other a hug and passing you know each other on the back and say i got your back bro don't worry but i also love you and look him in the eye and go, yeah and i didn't just fall apart mm -hmm. saying that you know and that's a that uh that's a often a very liberating thing and scary thing for folks but just yeah i love you man you're awesome I'm a, I have four or five friends. I say that guys, I say that to all the time. And when I was, you know, in my twenties, that would, you know, that would not fly right <laughs> mm -hmm. later in life. probably because I don't care, but you know, yeah, I love you, man. You're an awesome dude. And I mean that from a heart space too. And it, um, but also have a bit more nuance of what love can be. It's not just love translates into, you know, sexuality <laughs> right. or I, you know, I love, you know what I mean? So, yeah. You know, I'm interested because it feels like, you know, since, did you say that you've been with Moosehide 10 years? I mean, it, it's certainly expanded, right? Like from what it was. Um, and so I'm curious if you would be willing to talk with us a little bit around scaling. Yeah. Because, you know, being so relational focused, right? Mm -hmm. People would automatically look like, great. Well, what are the impacts and how are you scaling up? And so I just love for you to talk a little bit around scale and what, sure. yeah. What are you, where, where's your orientation there? Yeah. Um, so great question. Um, there's a, a, so we talked about this before, Tim, we had a little sort of check in around scaling. And so the, you know, going from 20,000 to 5 million and, so it took us from just a little context around where we're at right now. From 2011 to 2018, we handed out a million moose hides. This calendar year, we've already handed out 1.7, and we're not done the calendar year in a year. So that first one. So so we're that's we're exponential growth quickly, and it's all demand driven. Um, what we talked about quickly was just the idea in a sort of social innovation language. There's kind of these three concepts that I think McConnell folks, that's where I got it from the call. I'm sure Francis Wesley and others would have, would have sort of used these terms, but they were scaling wide, scaling deep and scaling up. 
And basically what that meant is scaling up is going up into institutional environments and trying to change institutional policies and, and laws and resource flows and authorities and stuff like that. Scaling wide is just going horizontally, trying to get it as far and as broad as you can. And scaling deep is trying to say, well, we might only give five moose hides out, but we're going to give them out in such a deep, meaningful way that people will be forever transformed or something like that. You know, So, um, so those would be the three trajectories. And so what uh, I, I was just mentioning uh, when we talked last time is we've consciously taken an agreement to scale wide and just go and let the moose hide and the medicine carry its own depth. So we have a... Uh, philosophy that's just let the medicine do its work. When people see a moose hide on, on your lapel, they're going to say, oh, hey, what's that? And you go, thanks for asking. It's a square moose hide. I'm standing up against violence. It's not right. It's not love. Just so happens to be an epidemic in this country. And I want to help bring it and make it explicit and, and try and work with people to do it. Here's a moose hide. Thanks for, you know, and that those conversations are happening. So uh, we consciously didn't try and scale up into policy change because we just want to keep, you know, uh, we just want to boil a couple of oceans at a time uh, with our little Bunsen burner, not that one. So and so the scale deep, it deeps, deepens itself, it scales wide uh, by just getting out there and let it carry its steps. So and then scaling, you know, just one other piece of that is that we've been pretty much all demand driven. We haven't really promoted the campaign at all. There is a way in which uh we want this to find its own rhythm so we don't want to force it out into canada we want this to find where does it naturally flow and where doesn't it and there are places so for instance the other day i saw the um uh the other day it's probably two months ago now um that i saw on the lapel of the ceo of suncor a moose hide so you, if oh, you wow. yeah, if you look around, you'll see the prime minister wears it, a number of premiers wear it, lots of mayors wear it. So it's got we got the grassroots, grass tops kind of effort going. Um, so we do, but the Suncor CEO is wearing it, and we had a conversation, and my uh, we've sort of had a, you know, we've questioned as to whether we want to go into the oil and gas sector. We've had some requests for partnerships and we've been like, no, we, the, the campaign actually started right next door to the Wet'suwet'en territory, like the Carrier and Wet'suwet'en are neighbors. Wet'suwet'en, of course, is ground zero for the, the fight between indigenous traditional governance systems and the push of Canada to get its oil out to the coast, right? So there's been this whole uh, thing. It's very, very, uh, and so we are not, um, you know, we're not running. So, so the question then became, well, what do we do? It's really clear to us that we need to get these pins into the darkest corners we can. Likely there's a lot of benefit in getting the moose hide campaign onto the tar sands and into the man camps and into the spaces where there's a lot of men and mm. be interesting to see what it does in that space. And so we're we're making that effort. So I haven't reached out to him, but I'm going to reach out to him at, at a certain time and just say, you're wearing the moose hide. Please be, please be willing to share it right down into the grassroots of your system. We want to help you get the message out. We'll get the message out. Um, we don't care where you're from uh, or what you're doing. If this is something that will be of benefit to the relationships of those who are in your network and create some safety around those who are the families of your network, then that's that's what we're, we want to do. How do we how do we make sure these things don't become tokenism in some way? 
right? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like, uh, it's, you know, beginning of every meeting in Nova Scotia now, there's a land acknowledgement, mm-hmm. right? And so we do the land, and I always feel like that the reading the land acknowledgement is insufficient, mm-hmm. that I have to speak to it somehow from my own story and my own life as well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and so uh, and so I think there's a, you know as you begin to start expanding something that in many ways is a symbol, right? Mm-hmm. That by its nature instigates a conversation, mm-hmm. right? That moves it from symbolic into relational. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. 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 Like that's, that's like, that's almost like the, the juice here. You know, there's a mate of mine in town here, a fellow called Sean Cole. He did, um, he did, he, he did a lot of the recordings for the testimonials for the murdered and missing indigenous women. Um, and he was, you know, he was the, he was the tech guy, but they did all, they did all the recordings of the testimony, you know, and it's completely transformed his life. It's completely transformed his life. You know, mm-hmm. how he sees the world, how he understands the world, what he wants to do with his life, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And you think about how story can do that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how a symbol can be a how can be a symbol can be a doorway into a story, but also can be a way for someone to take benefit for something without any real depth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and so very well. Yeah. How, so that must be part of the navigating that you're doing as you think about these places and like, how do you navigate that? Like, what, what's your thinking around that? Mm, it's a great question. Great question. So we've struggled with this. So, so you know, we and we run around the country doing everything we can to raise every cent we can because um, a little. Uh, where you know, I know this is uh, get to the outside kind of philosophy. Let's stay inside for this this one. Um, that <laughs> I don't, I don't, I uh, that costs us about a, a, a buck a, a pin by the time we source it out, get it out, get it in the mail, and sitting on your lapel. So we have to run around and generate some some cash for it. Um, and so you know, we have all these relationships we're building and stuff like that. I was going to tell you that I was telling you that for a reason. Maybe it's just a way of shilling for uh, in case of any <laughs> multi-billionaires lifting. Right. If any, That's if right. Jeff Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, um, anyway, I take the whole thing back. Away. Um, so uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so um, he actually is a regular listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcast, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Yeah, right. Funny that you mention it. Yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. I don't headphones. Yeah. He's yeah, not yeah. willing to shill. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I got these at Amazon, by the way. I just want to, um, so the uh, <laughs> which I love. So um, the uh, the tokenism. The uh, so we had an opportunity to. So we the way we produce the moose-eyed pins matters to us. We source the the hides. We have it done in a certain way. And there was an opportunity to basically say, we need to reduce our costs. And there was a, a conversation that didn't go anywhere, but it was a suggestion. And it was good that it was a suggestion. Um, well, why don't you just ship them off overseas and get them done overseas and sort of commodify the pin and think of it as, and we were like, you know what? It's a medicine. So if we can only produce this many, then we only produce this many. Yeah, but we're not going to do that. So then we, and we want to share that with people that, you know, um, that think of it as a medicine, do what you want with it. Like when you get it, it's on your pill, it's yours. 
uh, and mm. carry it, do what you want. It's if it means something to you, let it mean what that it means to you. So one of the things that happens, uh, we found ourselves, and I'll tell you two stories. Um, we found ourselves in some really unique, interesting environments. So, uh, I, if you start looking under the hood of what's going on with the moose hike campaign across Canada, you find some pretty interesting things. And one of the things is that it's the first thing in the history of the RCMP that they're allowed to wear as part of their uniform. There's nothing that they, they're allowed to wear poppies on Remembrance Day, but that's the first thing in the history of the RCMP they're allowed to wear on the uniform. We had to make special pins because they literally come with a pin, um, a bobby pin and so, and a little piece of high that you pin on. They were, you know, we had to make special push button pins because they were worried about picking the locks. But the last two commissioners have both explicitly said to the force, everybody, you're allowed to wear this as a symbol. So you've got the RCMP wearing these things. Uh, and the Wet'suwet'en land defenders were all wearing them. There was an incident where we had the Wet'suwet'en land defenders being hauled off by police for trying to protect their own territory. It's only been theirs for, you know, 40,000 years. Um, so, uh, there it is. They're protecting their territory and they said no to this pipeline. It's not really like, it's not ambiguous. Um, so the police are showing up with an injunction and hauling them off and the police are, some of the police are wearing loose hide pins. So we, uh, found ourselves in a very unique position because mm. at the cornerstone of wow. reconciliation is yeah. this it's like that that is deep mm. deep waters right uh and so we've been really conscious of um saying we think it should be worn by any man woman or child who wants to walk in a way that is loving caring and kind so maybe the police so we asked the, the force Maybe your riot guy is not wearing it so much. Day-to-day -day community guys, please. But just just because mm -hmm. it's maybe you don't need to be that way right now. No, that's we were very tentative and just sort of held that space because sure. we part of it is we don't own the medicine. When you gift it out, it goes to where it goes. The other incident, and I'll just tell you uh, about this, is um we've had two incidences where we've asked politicians who are wearing it to not to take to say lesson oh so one of them was a new minister of indigenous relations in one of the provinces in bc here who okay gets you asked them to take it off david yeah so he is we've only done that twice he shows up on his first day of work as a minister of the crown wearing a big huge moose side and goes out on the steps of the legislature i'm not going to say who it was um, or what province he was from, and it's over, excuse me, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, says basically, you know, that residential school thing that happened wasn't so bad, really. I mean, there's uh, lots of good yeah. intentions, right? Yeah. When they're exhuming 215 kids' graves, unmarked graves, uh, you know, we uh, it's just like, oh, not good. So we asked him you know what, maybe don't wear that without really understanding what it's about. So we'd like to ask you to step down from that. Now, it just so happens when he did that, he was on the stairs of the legislature, Wab Canoe, who is now the premier of 
just the first indigenous premier, first First Nations premier, who just got elected okay. in Manitoba. He happened to, this was a couple of years ago, before he was premier as a leader of the opposition, he happened to be wearing his moose hide and he happened to be a honorary witness for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which went across Canada and heard the stories of survivors for, for years and heard horrific, like the, the um, like this is basically considered a genocide in the international legal yeah. context. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So genocide wasn't so bad. So no, no, no. That so Wab walked over and sort of like dressed him down nicely, but just went, "You really don't understand what's going on," and da da da, and then sort of took the moment to sort of. So it was a moment um, where. So going back to Tim's question, you know, there will be people who will use it as a shield. There will be people who use it as perch. So we're very conscious when I talk about it. Uh, just did this talk to uh i just did a, had 10 minutes to share a little bit about it with the qp members of 3000 members here in, in quebec city canadian union of public employees and said two things we consider this a medicine campaign it is not a badge of honor it is mm-hmm. not a, a virtue signaling any special virtue you have it is a flag or a piece of medicine that says there is something really not okay happening right under our noses it's a flag. It's a uh, to say there's a problem here. Um, it's just like you see, you know, you're driving along the highway and you see somebody put a yellow flag out in the side of their car, you know, as they're parked or a flare or something like that. Like think of it like that. Think of it as something that says, "Oh, there's a problem, and we need to talk about it, um, and we need to be explicit about talking about it." It needs, you know, some things are better left said. This is one of those <laughs> things we have to mm-hmm. talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so good, great question, Tim, because we found ourselves in some very unique situations around this very issue. Yeah. There's other stories. I'll leave it at that. But that's, that is very much the thing. And last, last but not least, just to say there's 5 million of them out there. We have no idea what people are doing or saying, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, so. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I was going to ask you um, what keeps you in the work, but I guess I'm thinking, Tim, we're probably winding down here. So I'm wondering if there's anything, David, that you kind of carry in your back pocket, a quote, a teaching, um, an impression from anyone important to you, like that kind of keeps you in this work. Yeah, so I used to work on the downtown east end of Vancouver as an outreach worker in the downtown east okay. of Vancouver with Urban Native Youth Association some 25 years ago. And I had a few experiences down there that really made it crystal clear to me that human beings, myself included, get ourselves into bad situations and bad practices because of the lack of love and care that we offer ourselves that we solicit and that we allow in and so this campaign uh, uh, we sometimes think of as a you know, campaign that's love-centered campaign um, we're really trying to create experiences of connection social connectivity you know it's a, one of the you know ancillary benefits of this which wasn't the original intention is our in, we have about six years of impact measurement that we've had an impact measurement firm following us around for six years. And one of the things they found is that people build or get a sense of social connectivity from this. They feel mm. lack of, it's an antidote to the loneliness, the lack of connection, the lack of like commonality and common humanity. And so we, we get lots of comments from people about that kind of uh, thing. So that keeps me going. And also, I'll just say this one last thing. 
we have our website where you go and order the pins. And when you go to our website, bluesidecampaign.ca, um, powered by Amazon, the, um, the, uh, <laughs> Is it working? Recently went up uh, with X to be on a satellite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can go there and order pins, right? And, and join yeah, the yeah. site So you order your pins, you fill out, oh, you know, I, I'm Tim Mary. I want, you know, 300 pins at this address. This is the date I need them by. And there's a comment box under there. Anything you want to share about the campaign. And we have tens of thousands of people who say, of individual personalized stories and just anything from like five-year-olds who go, Hey, I gave this to my sister and my sisters and I are now feeling a little safer at school. Or I shared this with my aunt and my aunt, my aunt shared for the first time, the fact that, you know, this happened and we're talking about this now. And so there's lots of these anecdotal, beautiful stories. And I have from time to time got pretty, you know, it's a trauma laden space, right? Um, right. And, and, yeah. and, you know, being solution focused and positive is, is, is how I try and move forward and just sort of hold my sphere of influence, but I get mm-hmm. impacted by this. And sometimes I go to that database and just read a couple of comments and just go, Oh, Aww. it's working. It's, it's out there doing its good work. You know, it's not, we're not doing anything but handing them out and going, I mean, really, it's a piece of moose hide sitting on somebody's lapel. It doesn't, you know, it's only people's willingness to take some depth and meaning and purpose to it for themselves um, that actually makes the medicine work. Yeah, but that's like saying a myth is words on paper, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, true. Do you know what I mean? That's like saying a prayer is in a prayer book or, a Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the inner world of it that that it triggers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David, it's been beautiful having you on the podcast. And it's, it's like yeah. we've been talking for an hour and I feel wow. like we've only just skimmed the surface. I know, I you agree. Know? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you so much for making the time to come in. Well, my pleasure, my pleasure. I really enjoyed seeing you both and, uh, and sharing yeah. a bit about the campaign. Yeah. Awesome. I love it that we entered through Circle and then went into the campaign. It's like it somehow set a bit of a, a container for our conversation, you know, so I love that. Awesome. Blessings. Wicked. Thank you both.